How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug, Sanscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been great. It's been great. Feeling a lot better and uh, getting some progress down on the panels that Chelsea and I are going to be presenting at Odafest. Nice. Now, when when is that going to be happening? So, Odafest, I believe, is the May long weekend. And Chelsea and I are going to be doing three panels. We're going to be doing, well, we're going to be doing anime that Japanese people actually watch. So it's going to be like stuff that airs during prime time. So not, not like your Naruto and stuff, but it's uh, more like, like Sazai-san, which is a show that's been running longer than The Simpsons Mm, and stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to be redoing my meme finance panel. And finally, Chelsea and I came up with a very fun panel idea where we do a Freudian analysis of Mobile Suit Gundam called Mobile Suit Mommy Issues. And this is going to be happening in Calgary, correct? Yes. Nice. So, Tim, super excited to get together today, not only because we actually got some Ottawa Senator wins to talk about and we got some good stuff to talk about at the top of the hour, but we got to talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is Season 5, Episode 26, in chronological order, Episode 121, the Matthew Joseph edition of the Third Line Plug, Sanscast. So just a little background about Matthew Joseph. He was drafted 120th overall by the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2015. He spent parts of four seasons with the Tampa Bay Lightning before being traded to the Ottawa Senators during the 2022 trade deadline for Nick Paul. And at the time of this episode, he has recorded four goals, seven assists for 11 points in 10 games for Ottawa. Now, Tim, before we go into talk about Matthew Joseph, I want to do a little bit of a follow-up on our cover athlete from last week, the late Eugene Melnick. Yeah. And the reason I'm going to do this is because our bot, Adam, hey, Adam, how's it going? From the Three Ghosts to Wait, Four Ghosts podcast, he sent me an email this morning regarding Eugene Melnick, and I'm going to read it out to you right here. Hey, Bods, just a quick note to all Sens fans on the passing of Eugene Melnick. The Niagara Ice Dogs would not exist if it weren't for Eugene purchasing the St. Mike's Majors and putting the Ice Dogs up for sale. The Niagara region had a few OHL teams over the years, but didn't have a team since the Niagara Falls Thunder left for Erie. I can remember talking to our local sports editor from St. Catherine Standard about the viability of the OHL in the Niagara region. He said, I give it three years. Thankfully, the team is still here under the new ownership, uh, under the ownership of the Burke family. I mean, if you actually heard about what they were up to this past week, I don't know about that. Who purchased the team from Eugene? The team has a beautiful 53-seat stadium in downtown St. Catharines and appeared to be here for the long term. As for Eugene's ownership of the St. Michael's Majors, it went quite bad. Mississauga did not fare well, and he eventually sold the team. I think it was for keeping the St. Michael's Catholic School name. Funny story, my uncle Rob went to school with Eugene at St. Michael's in Toronto. In closing, since fans have been through enough over the past couple of seasons, there is going to be some uncertainty for the next little bit. But as you guys mentioned last week, it will be nothing compared to the team going through bankruptcy like they did before Eugene purchased the team. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, St. Michael's came up here again. And it really goes to show how much he loved his alma mater. Mm-hmm. 100%. Now, what I was referring to when it comes to the Burke family is the Burke family got in some hot water this past week regarding some personal messages that they were sending amongst each other and some of the language they were using 
was, oh boy. Uh, yeah. And it's about, I think I didn't get a chance to read it, but I think it was about officials in the o- OHL and some of the higher ups and yeah, it was bad. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. But anyway, no need to sour it with the misdeeds of the Burks. 100%. Now let's talk about Matthew Joseph because you know what, Tim, I have to admit is that for the grief that Pierre Dorian really gets when it comes to landing and acquiring people and players for this team, not through the draft, Matthew Joseph has been one that it's almost been like another Anthony Duclair situation where he comes in and he just finds a scoring touch. But I think it's a different situation because again, Matthew Joseph was a bottom six in Tampa Anthony Duclair was kind of on his last legs in the NHL. Very different. But overall, how have you felt about Matthew Joseph in the Ottawa Senators? Well, here's the thing. Matthew Joseph, when you look at the guy's underlying numbers, he is a guy who obviously can play up the lineup because the guy has a wicked finish. And he's always had a wicked finish in Tampa. And it's just that there's guys on the right wing or the left wing, depending. Matthew Joseph can play both. uh, That are just stronger finishers than him. You got like you ha- and you have a bunch of them. And uh, we talk about Nikita Kucherov. We talk about brain point. We talk about Stamkos when he comes out of center. There's a lot of guys ahead of Matthew Joseph on that Tampa depth chart, but this is a very, very smart pickup for Pierre Dorian because here's a guy who everybody knew he had this wicked finish, very, very good penalty killer, pretty good defensive forward. And I think as he, as he gets a bit older and he plays with better line mates, we'll probably actually see that he's territorially strong in the offensive zone too. This was a fantastic pickup. It was, and it was definitely a pickup that was beneficiary for both teams where you have Tampa Bay landing a veteran for a potential three-peat in Tampa Bay. And here's the Ottawa series, because usually when the Sens make trades like this, we're always on the losing end, but it seems like we're really on, I don't want to say the winning end, but I seem it's been pretty, pretty good so far for both teams. Yeah. And I think given the nature of where Tampa Bay was, they weren't going to be able to keep Matthew Joseph. So they were able to get kind of that death piece that they needed after they lost the Gord line to kind of fill that in in Nick Paul and Ottawa Sen- the Ottawa Senators get a guy who can move up and down the top nine with ease and who's young cost controlled RFA. Like this is a big win for the Ottawa Senators. And honestly, Nick Paul has played pretty well for Tampa, but I think Matthew Joseph has just been better. And we also can't forget that Joseph was also teammates with Thomas Shubat at St. John's. Yeah. And hopefully they'll get to spend some time playing together if not at the end of the se- this season, into next season. Absolutely. But, you know, you, you got to give Pierre Dorian some credit at the trade deadline, is that even though we widely criticized the Travis Hamannick pickup, he's been pretty solid for, his, for what he's brought to this team. But Matthew Joseph has just been that much better. Of course. Well, that's the thing. Uh, and I remember saying this during the uh, trade deadline episode, is that Matthew Joseph was such a good pickup. Mm-hmm. that it more than undead just the complete weirdness of the Hamannick pickup. 100%. 100%. Now, Tim, even now, Tim, they, you know that we just talked about Matthew Joseph. I got to plug next week's cover athlete because next week's cover athlete poll for season five, episode 27, 
in chronological order, episode 122. The third line plug is war episode, and we got four names on the board representing four different eras of the Ottawa Senators. We have Norm McIver, Sean Van Allen, Chris Kelly, and Nikita Zaitsev. It's another one of those eras of sends polls, and I really like those. 100%. I mean, given that we're technically season 29, not 30, as I've already established at the beginning of this season. <laughs> but just looking at the poll right now, it seems like Kelly and Zaitsev are tied at 40%. Kelly and Zaitsev, eh? I feel bad for Norm McIver. He's got zero votes. Which I don't get because he, until Eric Carlson came along, held the record for most points by defensemen with the on the Ottawa Senators. I wonder who's voting for Zaitsev. Maybe it's one of those troll votes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Honestly, if Chris Kelly wins, I got a great story for next week. But oh, really? That for then. Now, Tim, this would be the time of the episode where I would segue over to you to ask how your week has been going. But before we do anything, Tim. Alert, 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 alert. Now, I, I can't believe I actually forgot to mention this right off the top, but I'm going to squeeze it in right here that we have got a special guest for our season five finale on May 1st. The hockey last herself, Kelly Gibbs Barton, will be making her triumphant return to the third line plug Sensecast for that episode. So, what weird ass story do we have in store for that one? Ooh. Well, given you're the one that lived in the UK, Tim, I think you've got to take the reins on this one. All right. All right. And, oh, I guess we should probably, did we mention anything about, uh, why am I blanking on this now? Lori Boschman. Uh, we did mention that Lori Boschman will be on the show. Now, unfortunately, we will be getting him at the end of the month. Well, fortunately, we're st- he's still going to be on. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we were supposed to have him on last Sunday, but unfortunately, he wasn't feeling too well. We couldn't be able to do it. You know, there's nothing, not much we can really do about that, Tim. But the one thing that I do have in control is asking how your week's been going. It's been good, been good. Uh, feeling a lot better. And uh, yeah, just that's about it. Uh, Chuck. Chelsea and I have been watching through uh, the old Mobile Suit Gundam shows for that panel we're going to be doing. So we finished the first movie last night and we just started the second one. Once we get through that and the third movie, we'll then get into Zeta Gundam. And the movies, they they actually hold up pretty well for something that was made in 1981. Now, have these movies been released in North America or have they been Japan? They're on Netflix. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, so Gundam... Mobile Suit Gundam 1, Mobile Suit Gundam 2, Soldiers of Sorrow, Mobile Suit Gundam 3 are all available on Netflix. But Zeta Gundam, if you want to watch it in North America, you're going to have to find a DVD release. Yeah. Are, are they hard to come come by? Or are they? Pretty- that shouldn't be too hard, honestly. But like Zeta Gundam is fantastic. I think it's probably one of, if not the best entries in the series it's definitely right up there i think it's my favorite right on man right on so i'll talk a little bit about my week now i've had a pretty solid week overall not gonna lie to you but i did get a chance to watch a couple of shows over the past week or so now you did mention netflix 
I actually canceled my subscription to Netflix. I just, I don't use it enough for me to justify keeping it. But in doing that though, even though I canceled Netflix, I reacquired Crave. And I love Crave because Crave has the HBO shows. It's got some of the TSN stuff like Engraved on a Nation, for example. And I was rewatching the Kenny Omega episode, which is fantastic. And one show, and one of the reasons I wanted to buy this, Tim, is because there is a new series on Crave called Winning Time. Now, Winning Time is a is a show about the 1980s show Showtime Lakers. Yeah. And even though I'm not a huge basketball fan, I, I, I love The Last Dance as much, and I've said this so many times on the show, but I was very fascinated to watch a show regarding the 80s Lakers because I think it's such a fascinating time in sports given that you have the Lakers who – they're not like the Lakers now with the reputation of winning and superstardom and all that stuff that yeah, came yeah. along with the team. They were not that in 1979 when the late Jerry Buss bought the team. And this is what the show's about. Jerry Buss bought the team, the draft magic. So it's just about the 80s Lakers. Now they've only done, I think, six episodes right now. It's been pretty good overall. I got to give it that, Tim. Has has this show divined us the location of those mystical lakes in LA they haven't and actually (laughs) funny enough they've actually made a reference to this because and I gotta say the casting strange in it because the Lakers owner Jerry Buss is played by John C. Riley. oh what the the comedic actor yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy who was in like like stepbrothers yeah he's actually not bad he looks like a greasy used car salesman which is fitting because if you've ever seen a picture of Jerry Buss, he looks exactly like that. He just looked <laughs> like a greasy used Carl salesman who was this lavish playboy who was went to the playboy mansion all the time and had these old girlfriends. But it's very fascinating because you kind of realize the Lakers, they brought a lot of pizzazz. They brought a lot of prestige to the NBA at a time when really everybody had kind of ripped the NBA off. Like, oh yeah, this thing will be dead in five years or whatever. Like he came in and they established the form club, Laker girls, just fun running gun basketball. It's been yeah. pretty good show. And I got to say, John C. Rowe has been really good. Now, going back to what I was saying about the mystical lakes in LA, they made a mention to this because Sally Field plays Jerry's mother in the show. And yeah. she mentioned that. She goes, why would you? I, I think I can't remember what the line was. I think this is like, why would you buy a team? There's no fucking lakes in LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much and that they just never bothered to change the name. It's true. It is so true, but it's one of those things. And definitely I have to give credit to the production because there's a lot of money being thrown in there and they have different directors for each episode. Like Adam McKay was a director for one. Jonah Hill was a director for an episode. So they have different directors for each episode, which is kind of, it's it's really fascinating and kind of, it's kind of a, Oh God, what's the word I want to use? sorry, I'm blanking on the name right now. It's kind of like we have a series of episodes, but they're kind of like their own kind of separate story. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. It's like, shoot. And it's like a side story. Kind of. Yeah. It's kind of like an anthology. Anthology. There we go. But it's just about the Lakers. So it's been cool. The production's really fantastic. Now, another thing I want to bring up, Tim, and you know me, I like wrestling. It's yes. not a secret. I've made this many, many mentions on the show. 
So once again, and I failed to mention this last week, is WrestleMania 8, 18, sorry, WrestleMania 38 was not this past Sunday, but the week previous at the AT&T Stadium in Dallas. I didn't get a chance to watch it. You know, I haven't watched WWE in, in I don't know how many years now. I watch AEW. I really like that, what they're doing. But the yeah. reason why I want to bring this up, Tim. Did somebody get slapped? Nobody got slapped. There was a return. This is something, and you know, in wrestling, you're always going to get returns of performers, you know, whether it be Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair, The Rock, John Cena, Undertaker, like all these guys will come back. The one guy they could not convince for years and years to come back as a performer was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Really? Stone Cold is like one of the most prolific wrestlers there is. He still gets the biggest pop at WrestleMania when he shows up. He has not wrestled since WrestleMania 19 in Seattle. Uh, when was WrestleMania 19? Uh, 2003. It was at, okay. uh, at Safeco Field in Seattle. It was his final match. He retired afterwards. And I think the reason why... So literally the, two decades. Yes. The reason why I still say that Steve Austin gets the biggest pop is because like unlike John Cena unlike Hogan, unlike all of these guys I just mentioned, he never came back. And there was no indication that he was going to come back because he's openly said, he says, you know what? I'm happy what I did with my career. And the reason why he, he came back at WrestleMania 30, like he was obviously going to kind of come, going to come back because it's in Dallas, in Texas. He came back when WrestleMania, fuck, which, I can't remember which WrestleMania was in Dallas. I think he blew his rotator cuff out. Ooh at WrestleMania. And so the reason why he came back is because Kevin Owens, who's a Canadian wrestler in WWE had been challenging him and calling him out in promos and issuing challenges that you should come and wrestle me. So they were going to do an, so they did an interview in the middle of the Ranger in WrestleMania. Yep. And they decided to have a match. Nice. Uh... They should not have. Mm Mm-hmm. Is, is, is Stone Cold old and fat? I He's not fat. He's still in really good shape. It was really amazing. But I watched... I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. I watched bits and pieces of it, and I'm just like, this is sad. This like, makes me sad watching this. Is the choreography just not very good, or what's going on here? Well, keep in mind, Steve Austin is right. almost 60. He is 60. He's almost 60. He hasn't wrestled in 20 years. He hasn't been in the ring in 20 years. And it's not good. And I was not expecting it to be good. He could have come out, stunned Kevin Owens in the middle of the ring, got a pop and left. But they had a little match. It was, it it made my heart hurt, Tim. Like, I'm guessing it's, you think they probably could have choreographed the match to kind of hide the fact that like, yeah, a 60 year old guy can't do what he used to do, right? Like they tried, they tried. Okay. Like they had moments where he was stopping to drink a beer and all that stuff that he did in the, in wrestling. But it, I gotta say though, I think the opponent of Kevin Owens was a pretty good choice. Cause he's a bigger guy. He's like 270 pounds. He looks like a defensive lineman, but the <laughs> guy can move. Oh, okay. He's not like the big show or any of these really big Haas wrestlers where they're just very lumbering. He runs full speed at you. And it's like, He's agile on his feet for a big yeah. guy. So it was a really good opponent for him, which I think is, I just find it kind of weird that 
it was Kevin Owens that made him come back. It wasn't a CM Punk. It wasn't Hulk Hogan. It wasn't a huge, huge name in wrestling. It was, I'm not saying Kevin Owens isn't a big name, <clears throat> but I'm just surprised that a Hogan or a CM Punk or somebody could not convince him to come back. Well, it's like, I wonder what the heck the actual, well, maybe, maybe it was just Stone Cold Steve Austin wanted to do something in Dallas. And he was like, hey, WWE, write me in. Yeah. And that's how they figured out. How, that's the way they thought it would work. Maybe Stone Cold met Owens. It was like, oh, this guy's cool. Yeah. And, and that worked out that way. 100%. Steve Austin in the past, he's been very supportive of Kevin Owens. He said, oh, yeah, Kevin Owens is a great wrestler and all that, which he is. He's a fantastic wrestler. But even WrestleMania 38, when you look at some of the people they had in there, like the cast, like the not the prank, the um, stunt casting where they had Jake Paul. <laughs> Jake Paul, from what I have heard, I have not seen it, is, was actually not bad. Is Jake Paul the one who does W, sorry, uh, UFC or am I thinking uh, He's the one who does boxing. Right. Yeah, he was the one, he was like talking shit to like a volley, not a volley hand, for, um, Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather, yeah. The guys, you take you out. I'm like, you do realize Mayweather wouldn't clean your clock with one shot. But they also had former NFL punter Pat McAvee, who he, I think he was at WrestleMania last year, and he was pretty good from what I understand for a guy who's not a wrestler. So WWE. There's, there's a lot of guys who go from football to wrestling, eh? Like not just The Rock, but a lot of guys who do that. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because me and one of my coworkers were having this conversation. It's like Vince McMahon would, he usually would, they would usually go to like one of three to find talent football obviously wrestling you know like amateur wrestling that's where they found brock lesnar and kurt angle and all these guys yeah. basketball oh basketball's a good one because guys like kevin nash who was a basketball player and and these guys are really athletic and they're very agile and they can yeah. learn well that's the big thing with that like basketball it it's such a high it's very fast. So you have to be able to process so quickly, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, those guys would be fantastic actors. And like a lot of them can jump really well too. Mm -hmm. So the acrobatics are there. Yeah. Like the undertaker was a basketball player. Make that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, they got six, 10, that would make a lot of sense, but <laughs> well, you, I mean, even look at the football and you're, you mentioned the rock, but Goldberg was a res like Goldberg was in football. Steve Austin was in football uh admed johnson was in football so they found a lot of these talents in other sports and it works out great for them yeah. now that we talked about our weeks tim let's talk about last week's episode because you know i don't remember what happened last week it was a good, uh, good episode from what i understand yeah I anyway. <clears throat> it was it was our post tibbs alive episode it was pretty good yeah I mean, it's always a good episode when we when you're alive, Tim. So yeah, I mean, still can't believe we did. We've done multiple episodes while Tim has COVID, but it's somehow still more comprehensible than Tim got the COVID shot. Yeah. Well, you know, Tim. Like I said, I mean, it's always a great episode when you're alive, but it's also a great episode when we get to segue into this little segment I like to call top of the hour one take wonder right there man 
No, that was a good segue. Mm. I'm fucking here for that. Right to the heart, right to the heart. You know, for all the ones I screw up, I at least get one right. Huh? <laughs> Every so. No, we're good. We're good. Absolutely. So let's kick off top of the hour by talking about Hockey Hall of Famer Marion Hosa signed a one-day contract with the Chicago Blackhawks to officially retire with the team. Hosa, drafted 12th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1997, spent 19 seasons in the NHL with five different teams, the Ottawa Senators, Atlanta Thrashers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Detroit Red Wings, and the Chicago Blackhawks, recording 525 goals, 609 assists for 1,134 points in 1,309 games, while winning three Stanley Cups with Chicago in 2010, 2013, and 2015. Okay, so this is, as I just remembered here, Ted, because when we were talking last week about Jonathan Taves and how do you think that it would affect Hayes and Kane and Keith and all the end of the hall of fame. Yeah. I kind of get why host is the first one to be retired because again, he seems like the, the one of the few guys who left Scott free in this. Yeah. Marion host is the only guy who just comes out not looking too bad because like he wasn't part of the leadership core, like wasn't really seen as part of the leadership core of that team. He doesn't even come into the situation until 2010. No, 2009. Sorry, 2009, yeah. He's not into the situation until 2009. So it's like, he's one of the few people of that dynasty that you could reasonably be like, yeah, he he didn't know. Yeah, and you know what? I imagine Marion's one of those guys, like if he had known, he probably would have been like, okay, this is messed up. Oh, for sure. He would have been on the first plane out of there. Yeah, and it's the Blackhawks definitely needed a win, and this is a win for them. Now, we're going to turn our attention to the Ottawa Senators here, Tim. And now, I did mention Hosa was drafted 12th overall by the team in 97. Now, with the Senators officially entering their 30th season next year, and with the unfortunate passing of Eugene Melnick, there's a lot of chatter on Twitter about, okay, what would the Sens do for the 30th anniversary? What could they do? And one of them they brought up, of course, is the Ring of Honor. And Marion Hosa, for the fact that he hasn't played for the team since 2005, and he's a Hall of Famer, three-time Stanley Cup champion, I could see Marion Hosa going into our Ring of Honor. The, the Ring of Honor. <laughs> that thing that exists. But no, Marion Hosa would be a very good addition to the Ring of Honor. First Senators draftee to go into the Hall of Fame. Hell yeah. Like, that's deserving. I would honestly, I'd be fine with Eugene Melnick ending up in the Ring of Honor. Yeah, and I mean, you know what, Tim? It's almost like there's should be a Sense podcast out there that did a whole episode on people who should go into the Ring of Honor. But oh, yeah. maybe there might be an episode about that uh, about two years back in our bonus episodes about that. Yeah, the COVID maybe. Episodes? Yeah, yeah, maybe if people are interested in that, they should definitely check that one out. Absolutely. I mean, you should go check out some of our COVID episodes. Like we did interview Bruce Firestone, that one top. I think we did the top five sends of the 2010s, which was great. Good episode. Good episode. Very good episodes. So Tim, we got to give a quick shout out to Anaheim Ducks captain, Ryan Getzlaff, who announced that he will retire at the end of the 2021-2022 season. Getzlaff drafted 19th overall by the Anaheim Mighty Ducks in 2003, has spent his entire 17-year NHL career with the Anaheim Ducks, winning the Stanley Cup in 2007, while also winning gold with Team Canada at the 2010 and 2014 Winter Olympics and the 2005 World Junior Hockey Championships. 
you know, we always go back to the 2003 draft, Tim, of what a great draft this was, man, how deep this was. Brian Murray has to be given so much credit because not only did he take Getzlaff in the first round of that year, he traded up and also landed Corey Perry near the end of the first. Yeah, like that was a franchise-altering draft. And then the the, ne- <clears throat> the lockout year, he picks up Bobby Ryan. Like who was on – I can't even remember. Like who was on the receiving end of their – championship though it's weird i can't remember that uh it's not important anyway uh i'm actually surprised getzlaff is hanging them up because he is still an effective center in the nhl yeah well you know what getzlaff he's one of these guys like ducks are in a rebuild right now and he says you know what it's time to let the young guys take the reins here the same way that the salonis and koreas did when he came in and I kind of ask what Ryan gets left him because, you know, the Anaheim Ducks over their past, I would say 28, 29 years have been in the NHL. Like they've had some great players from Korea, Solani, J.S. Shiger, obviously Ryan gets left and Corey Perry. Would you agree or disagree that Ryan gets most likely would go down as the greatest duck of them all? Or is that hard to say? That's really tough because you also had like you had guys like Scott Niedermeyer in there as well. And Pronger. Chris Pronger. Uh, although Pronger was more of a tourist than anything else. But uh, comes in, wins a Stanley Cup, leaves. Doesn't elaborate. But I think Ryan Getzloff, Paul Correa are probably the name, and Timo Solani are the, the names that people will think of when you say who is the greatest duck. And at this point, it's really hard to unseat the finish flash. 100%. I was going to say that too. And however, Korea is a pretty close second though. Yeah. However, here are two names who are making a pretty damn good argument this season. And I want to see them take the NHL by storm. Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras. Did you see that they did a spinorama goal on five on five last weekend? Yep. Like between the Michigan goals and all these crazy skill plays that those two put together. And Trevor Zegras is 20. Remember this. Those guys are going to be offensive phenoms for a very long time in this league. You know, as much as I criticize the Michigan goal, because again, it seems like one of those goals and I'm not knocking that it's probably very difficult to pull off, but it's just like, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It just kind of seems like, it's kind of a nothing goal nowadays for me. What it's I would just like happened to, too many times. Yeah, exactly. What I would like to see is like a lacrosse goal where they're literally on a breakaway. They lift it, they give it a little doodle daddle, and then they just flick it top shelf. I don't know that the spinorama goal from this weekend was a thing of beauty too. Cause it's like behind the net just spins a dude around while spinning himself finds Troy Terry tape to tape. Beautiful goal. What if like, he does that on a break? Like he comes down the left side. I think he's a left shot, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a left shot. So he comes on the left side. He looks like he's going to do a wrister. He takes the puck and lifts it off the off the ice, spins around, and then flicks the puck. Oh, that'd be sick. He hit the top corner. But yeah, I think Trevor Trevor Zegers could very easily be one of the, be- the best, one of the best ducks ever. And if Anaheim does end up winning another Stanley Cup with uh, Trevor Zegers on the team, 
he might just take that title. 100%. Now we're going to move away from Ryan Getzlaff, who is widely considered one of the greatest Ducks of all time, to a guy who is making his name as arguably one of the greatest Leafs of all time, Austin Matthews. Because Toronto Maple Leafs forward, Austin Matthews passed Rick by for most goals in a season by a Toronto Maple Leaf with 55. Now, of course, this is at the time of the record. Yeah. He's closer to 60 now. He's good. He's Well, this is incredible. He's really goddamn good. We'll give him that. Well, the fact of the matter is the Leafs haven't had anyone score like this in decades. Like, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, the last guy who could score like this, whose name wasn't Andercheck, again, was Sundin and Kessel. And even they never got to the heights that Matthews is getting to. Do you know that there hasn't there's only been one Swedish player to hit 50 goals in the NHL? Nope. Would you take a guess who this player was? It's harder than you think. You might it's... not you might not know who it is. I know Alfredson got close. Is it actually just Sundin? No. Is it Zetterberg? Nope. Lindstrom? Nope. Okay, I'm out. He was a gentleman by the name of Hawken Lube who played for the 88-89 Calgary Flames. He scored 50 goals that season, won the Stanley Cup, and left the NHL that summer. He did everything he needed to. Yeah, scored 50, won the Cup, and dipped. It's basically the chat. Enters NHL, scores 50 goals, wins Stanley Cup, refuses to elaborate, leaves. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's what happened. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. He just dipped on us, and... <laughs> Going back to Sweden. So we also got to give another quick shout to San Jose Sharks general manager, Doug Wilson, who announced that he is stepping down after 19 seasons as Sharks GM. Wilson, who previously played and served as captain for the Sharks for the first two seasons of the franchise, joined the San Jose front office in 2003, guiding them to five division titles, a president's trophy in 2008-09, and a conference championship in 2015-2016. I got to say, looking back on this, when I was writing this up, my brain hurts just knowing the amount of talent San Jose had in the late 90s, early 2010s did not make the finals once. They only made the finals once in the mid 2010s. Yeah. And that was on the backs of a Martin Jones miracle one that just never got replicated. And Here's that's such the weirdest thing about Pat Quinn. Sorry, not Pat Quinn. Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson is that the guy was very actually incredible at identifying forward and defenseman talent. Could not identify a consistent goalie to save his life. No, but goalies are voodoo, as you've always said, right? Oh, of course. But like, think of the goalies that Doug Wilson's brought to bear for the San Jose Sharks. Evgeny Nabokov into anti is the best one. He's who's arguably the best one, but he was the anti-clutch. Yeah. Uh, then you into anti Niemi, mm-hmm. into Martin Jones, and I, I think they are currently running James Reimer. Yeah, and you also can't forget that one of the first moves he ever made was he traded a third goalie to the Calgary Flames. Who ended yep. up being Kiprasov? Yeah, so it's just like the GMing in San Jose has been good outside of the goaltender position. 
Although Capo Kakinen might end up being someone quite good. And he's young, so that might end up working itself. But no, he's had a very a, a very successful run in San Jose, and he's built some incredible teams along the way. 100%. And, and know, also Vancouver beating San Jose in 2010-2011 is bullshit, and I'm not going to let that one go. No, but it's funny. You look at some of the teams that they lost to, and you're just like, how did you end up losing to them? You lost to Edmonton in 2006. You lost to Calgary in 2004. Okay, the Red Wings in 07, that makes a lot of sense, you know. And the Red Wings in 08 makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But then you go out and you lose. Oh, Chicago in 09 makes sense. Yeah, they lose back to, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but the first two, though. Yeah, the first two. And then the, I don't, I think the San Jose Sharks in 2010, 2011 were better than the Canucks that year. The only thing they didn't have was a goaltending. Yeah. Well, also, the BX goal should not have counted. No. I'm going to the grave with that one. But you know what? You look at that their talent up front that they had, whether you had Thornton, Marlowe, Danny Heatley, Pavelski. I mean, Jesus Christ, you had so many, so much talent. You had so much talent on that team. But you know what? I think for me, the downfall of Doug Wilson in San Jose is very much like with the downfall of another general man- longtime general manager is Ken Holland in Detroit. Because basically he tried so hard to keep that cup window open when it was very clear, like it was closing fast. Well, the weird thing with San Jose is that they got to a cup when most people thought that that window, sorry, they got to the finals in 2015, 2016, when most people thought that window was rightfully closed. So it's like, I think it's a bit different than Ken Holland. Well, it is much, it is a little bit different, but I'm just saying that, you know, you look at some of the acquisitions he made because he probably assumed that hey, it's still open. Right, like Carlson. He, the Derek Carlson, right? He will probably go to his grave. And I'm not saying that to be morbid or anything, Tim. I'm just saying he will probably go to that grave probably regretting that in the end. Well, to be fair. But remember, could not the Sharks were very good in 2017, 2018, and 2018-19. Remember that. Like the, like, the Carlson Sharks did win a few playoff rounds. They did. But I'm going to say right now, in five years, and I'm saying it's even looking at the Sens now, who would you rather have right now? Carlson or Josh Norris? Well, that's a stupid question because, yeah, the Sens were rebuilding. The Sharks weren't. And the Sharks were, the Sharks made it to the conference finals in the first year of the Eric Carlson trade. Mission accomplished. Like both teams got what they wanted out of that trade. Yeah, but I'm thinking even now with there's rebuild in San Jose, you know, they could. Yeah, but that's not the parameters of the question being asked. Eh, Fair. Like the San Jose Sharks wanted to go for another run and they went for another run. Like they got what they wanted. And I think their rebuild will probably go pretty good. Even without Stutzla and Norris, like it it would definitely be better with Stutzla and Norris. But I don't like, they're not massively impoverished for it. And they got another deep playoff run out of it with Eric Carlson. Yeah. And you know, we're going to be the beneficiaries of 
Norris and Stutzler right now. So exactly. Good for so us. yeah, I don't think I think it's a bit silly to think in those sort of terms. The NHL has announced that the 2022 NHL draft lottery will be held on May 16th. Said draft will occur during the first game of the second round of the 2022 NHL playoffs. Side note, Tim, I actually created the intro for our first round coverage of the third of the third eye plug playoff edition of the 2022 playoffs. Is it lottery balls? No. Oh. No, but it's going to be good, though. Okay, I'll have, I'll have to wait to see it then. Yeah, honestly, and it's funny because you and I were talking about this, and I was like, oh, man, we should do a reaction episode, only realizing it's on a Friday and I work. Yeah, yeah. Lame. So we've got a couple of fines to talk about. Edmonton Oilers forward Evander Kane has been fined $5,000 for kneeing Los Angeles Kings defenseman Sean Dersey. Fuck, I hate these knee-on-knee hits. And we're going to be talking about that in the Montreal game, but I tell you, Gotta hate the. F- Why do you guys have to keep on doing this? I, I don't know, man. But it's like, here's the thing: if it's, I don't, I'm not a big fan of these fines. Just give them a one game suspension. Like these neon knee hits are, they are so dangerous. Yeah. Just if there's, if there's things in the NHL, Tim, I hate neon knee hits. People yelling things during the national anthems. Come on, guys. It's 2022. Stop that shit. Yep. And the trapezoid. <laughs> the trapezoid. Let's I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still not getting over that. No, no. National Predators forward Colton Sissons has also been fined $2,500 for spearing Ottawa Senators forward Josh Norris. Sissons is not a repeat offender. I can't believe that they missed this call on the ice. Yep. This this is obviously not the first time an Ottawa Senator has been either speared or had his head driven into the ice during a face-off. Just, yeah, just I know. But it's like, yeah, this is just... It's... The officiating this season has been... Like, for everyone, it's been terrible. Like, inconsistent, just weird calls all over the place. And this is no exception. And I'm glad that the league at least chart put a fine on because that was, that was a gross spear. It was 100%. Now we've only got one suspension to talk about this week, Tim. New York Islanders forward Casey Sakigas has been suspended one game for boarding Carolina Hurricanes forward Brendan Smith. Sakigas is not a repeat offender. Yeah, the Sakigas hit was, that was not okay. And I'm actually surprised Zekas hasn't been suspended yet because he's an, got another guy like Cole, Cal Cutterbuck that plays right on the edge. And I think a lot of the time that he goes over it. So I'm glad to see that he got a suspension for this hit because it was just numbers to boards. Honestly, I didn't get a chance to see the hit, so I don't really have anything to call. So we should move on to our final story for top of the hour. The Buffalo Sabres have signed 2021 first overall pick Owen Power to a three-year entry-level contract. Power had recorded three goals, 29 assists for 32 points at 33 games for the University of Michigan. I know we say this about every rebuilding team about this about this time of year, but you can kind of see what Buffalo is trying to do come together lately, especially with uh, the emergence of players like Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck, 
just wanting to be there, and, which is massive for them. Even Preyton Krebs is starting to look pretty good. And we're finally starting to see Rasmus Dallian look like a true number one pick. Things are looking up for Buffalo. It really is. And it's great to see, right? Because again, the Buffalo Sabres this past week, they now hold the record for the longest playoff drought in 11 years. That's really sad. Yeah. So uh, congratulations, Florida. You're no longer the saddest team in our division. (laughs) So Tim, this would wrap up top of the hour. Now, I guess I want to add one story here. I didn't add for top of the hour. Now, I got a chance to listen to one of, it wasn't the latest Wally Mathot episode, but it was the one that came prior to today's episode. They had Daniel Alfredson on the show. Ooh. Do you want to talk about a bombshell that came out of this interview? Daniel Alfredson admitted on Wally and Mathot, ownership groups in links to the Ottawa Centers have reached out to him to join. That's not surprising at all because that's been in the Ottawa Senders related rumor mill for at least half a decade. 100%. And of course, the interview with Wally Mathot came out the day that the Ottawa Senders played, I believe, who the hell did they play? Nashville? I think it was on the Sweden Appreciation or whatever Swedish day. Yeah, that was the Nashville game. Also, the return of good friend of the team, Mark Borbietsky. Yeah, and we're going to get to that game here in a few minutes, Tim. Well, Tim, that wraps up Top of the Hour for this week, which you mean only one thing. So we start talking about some games. Now, we got four games on the schedule to talk about. We've got the Red Wings versus the Senators, Sens versus the Canadiens, Preds versus the Sands, and the Sens versus the Rangers. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Red Wings versus the Senators. This is a 5-2 Senators victory. Red Wings goals scored by Michael Rasmussen and Dylan Larkin. Sens goals scored by Josh Morris with the hat trick. Artem Zub and Nikita Zaitsev. Shock with 34-30 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Detroit throughout the game. Both teams came out out of the gate playing with great energy. However, Ottawa's offense were too much for Detroit as they secured the W. You know what? For the appreciation night for, sorry, afternoon, for the late Eugene Melnick, the Ottawa Senators couldn't have come out any better. Yeah, they couldn't have. Like, honestly, this was just a fantastic game. Now, of course, we were recording last week's episode when this, we were were we recording last week? Or yeah, we're that... recording during because it was a matinee game. That's right. Okay, so we were recording on the on the Sunday. And yeah, it was a great game. Like, honestly, I can't have any complaints about it, especially with the play of Josh Norris. The hat trick on th- six shots. I was going to say straight cash, homie, but this is easily one of the best games he's played in his career. Well, that's the thing about Josh Norris is... It's he's a very smart, very offensively gifted player, and only one of those games really came from the office. Yeah, and that's crazy because usually you know he's in the circle ready for a one timer, but yeah, he was mucking it up in the in the front, chipping in the rebounds. Good on him, except for yeah. the you know obviously he got the empty netter, but sorry, not the Matt 
sorry, the Nikita Zaitsev literal 200 foot goal. You know, it's funny. I went to play drop in hockey today. I scored a goal very similar to this. I was coming off the ice and I just chipped it in and the, it just went straight along the ice. The goalie dropped his ca- catcher to, to pick it up. It hit the catcher off the post and went in. That's awesome. Like the 200 foot goal is, it's not quite the goalie goal, but it's very funny to watch. And it's interesting because at the beginning of the season, and we talked about this last week about the the Detroit leg of the home and home that the Senators played over the weekend past. And a lot of people were like, you know, I thought that Detroit was much further along in their rebuild, but holy, this is a mess. Especially on the defense. And I know our good friend of the show, Jake Rivard, said that on Twitter too, right? He says, you watch this team on the back end. It's just like, no, like we are nowhere near good to go from with the rebuild. Yeah, and even even in the offensive zone, the top line of uh, Larkin and Raymond just didn't look very impressive as uh, Delzato and Hamannick just dismantled them. Who would ever thought we would be saying that, eh? Yeah, no kidding. While Brandstrom and Zub handled the rest. Now, another guy I want to talk about is our cover athlete for today's episode, Matthew Joseph. Three assists and two shots. I don't think I need to repeat it here, but I mean, he's just such a sneaky, great pickup for the Senators at the deadline. Oh, yeah. Well, the, his forechecking this game was actually elite. We're talking about a guy who had in pretty much a 100% expected goals ratio. Whenever he was on the ice, the puck was just deep in the Detroit zone. Speaking of someone who was invis- kind of invisible, except for one very nice chance was Philip Zadina. Yeah. Thank God we took Brady. Yeah, no kidding. Actually, who had what? a fantastic game himself with an assist. I was going to say, I got it in my notes right here. Two assists and four shots for Brady. Shame he didn't get a goal. Yeah, he was, he was damn close. He was damn he close. Was. And so was Drake Batherson. Like each game Batherson's played since coming back from injury, he's looked a little better. No, he has. And that's because you watch him and he's not as physical as he is. Maybe it's because he's maybe a bit hesitant to throw a hit or something because of his ankle, but you never know, right? Yeah, I I suspect he's kind of easing himself back in. And unfortunately, later this week, he did leave the lineup. He did, unfortunately. Now, before we head on to our next game, Tim, Anton Forsberg had 30 saves, a .938 save percentage. Because, I mean, there's not much I can really say. It's just another really good outing for him. Yeah. Honestly, uh, this is definitely one of, like, this game and the next game, kind of, it really goes to show that Ottawa is on to the next phase of the rebuild, while Detroit is, you can tell they're just right at the end of that teardown phase, where Ottawa was about a year or two ago. Yeah. And you know what? It's just going to be a matter of us staying healthy next season and some really smart pickups. And, you know, we're definitely going to be competitive or hopefully more competitive for next season. So let's move our attention to the second game of the evening. Sens versus Canadians. This is a six to three Sens victory. Sens goes recorded by Austin Watson with two. Tim Stutzla. Great Batherson and Colin White. Canadians goals scored by Brendan Gallagher. 
Justin Barron, and Cole Caulfield. Shots were 31-30 for Ottawa. An exciting game overall. Montreal started off this game capitalizing on Ottawa's mistakes early. However, the Senators would get their offense going as they would secure the W. And yes, I do realize I didn't say this, that part. I'm just trying something out new for today's episode. Yeah, no, we like it. We like it. So this is the funny thing about this game is Ottawa started out so slow, but once they started, once they started rolling, Montreal had to be opportunistic to stay with it in the second and then just got washed away in the third. 100%. And, you know, I know that our listeners want us to talk about the Nick Suzuki knee on knee hit on Tim Stutz up, but we're going to finish that. We're going to, say yeah. that for our final note but let's talk about austin watson two goals on three shots and you know you gotta give him this he is really fighting for that spot on the sense next season you know what's so weird about austin watson what he doesn't he doesn't score a lot of goals but somehow this season every every goal he scored has been a really pretty goal especially in the in the first goal right where i think it was alan he tried to chip around the boards it comes out and he just kind of he pulls like a bathroom and just kind of swats at it well it's like he tracks down the puck gets it and just lasers it to the back of the net like he picked a top shelf shot with that Mm -hmm. like that's actually that's incredible like every so often and this is the thing that just i don't get with austin watson you can see what people why someone would take him in the first round in a fairly deep draft, but it's just like, it only just emerges every so often. And that's kind of what's so weird about Austin Watson is the skills there. It's just not consistent. It's just not consistent in any way, shape or form. No, it's very unfortunate because you know what, like, and you put it perfectly. I mean, it was so nice. Now I want to talk about a goal that was really nice, Tim. Brady to Chuck, one goal, two assists for three points on three shots. Oh, my sweet God. That tic-tac-toe play, MDZ to Joseph, who just holds it for a second, and then he finds Brady in the middle. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, this just kind of continues Michael Delzato's point streak in the AHL, into the NHL. Like, you know what? If this is what Pierre Dorian saw in Michael Delzotto, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm fine with that signing. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a, just a matter of whether he can continue that into next season, though. Yeah, because like he is on the wrong side of 30. He is, unfortunately. But hopefully, you know, I hope for myself I'm not on the wrong side of 30, and I know you'll be turning 30 this August. I hope it's the same way with you. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, if Victor Mete isn't returning to the Ottawa Senators and – Oh, for fuck's if, sakes. I mean, even in that Winnipeg game, why would you take MDZ out for him? Yeah. And if what it seems like, what seems to be the obvious idea that Zaitsev is the wrong odd man out and probably going to be dumped somewhere in the offseason, Del Zotto makes perfect sense as a number seven. Yeah, and well, you develop a young guy. He also brings a lot of uh, a veteran leadership role to this team. Uncle Dele. Uncle Dele. Who would be the team's dad? That's what I want to know. If Uncle, if it's got a uncle, uh, if it's the team dad, it has to be Holden. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. So let's talk about Drake Batherson, Tim. One goal, one assist on two points for four shots. Really channeling his inner Brady to check on this goal. It, it, it was garbage cleanup, and we love it. Yeah. Can't say any more there, right? Yeah. And, man, Batherson looked very good, and he almost had another goal on the power play. Eh? He did. No, he had a really nice game in this one. I will give t- Drake Batherson this. And now we talk about Tim Stutzla, one goal on two shots. Okay, so every time since Tim Stutzla has come in the league, every time we play Montreal, I don't think I've seen a guy on the Sens who's taken more abuse than Tim Stutzla has against the Habs, whether it be Romanoff, checking him in the face, him getting speared. And now this bullshit with Nick Suzuki, he hitting him knee on knee. But it's not only that it's the Montreal fans who have the fucking balls to come out and say, Oh, he dived on that. Where on this fucking play was he diving? You went, he went full speed into him. Yeah. No. And it's a clear near on knee and Stutz goes right fucking down and he misses the next game. Yeah. No dude's obviously hurt. Yeah. And then fucking Gallagher goes, I was like, oh, my coach was like, you know, if you can go out on the next shift, maybe you're not hurt. Yeah, and then Stutzla comes out. And says the biggest you know fucking diver in yeah. the NHL. And Stutzla comes out and he's like, you know what? He's a v- veteran in this league, but you know what? I'm. It's his opinion. When Tim Stutzla has more respect than Brendan Gallagher. Oh, yeah. Brent Gallagher is... And you got more class. Oh, yeah. With that no. one comment. Exactly. When, and we're sorry, talking we, about the biggest fucking diver in the NHL and oh, Brendan Gallagher. What, but the worst thing is, is the media fucking ran with it. Yep. Yeah. But nope. Guess it. we've got to dump on the Euro, apparently. Yeah. And you know what? I can understand. Look, I'm a Tim Stutzla fan. You're a Tim Stutzla fan. We would be the first to admit that there's some plays that, yeah, it looks like pretty egregious like look okay he obviously went down pretty easy on this one we're not going to deny that but when it's you a knee go on knee b when you go knee on knee on a guy and i understand I, it came out suzuki did apologize to him after that so good on nick suzuki for that but you know what suzuki is lucky chris neal is not in the nhl today because chris neal would have put him through the fucking boards and up through the third and fourth roll. Well, Hamannick jumped the jumped the guy. And you got to give Hamannick that. And I have that in my notes. I says, Hamannick running Suzuki into the glass. is It's absolute bullshit every fucking time he plays Montreal. But you know what? Even at the end of the game when him and Gallagher got into it, you've got to give Tim Stutzler this. And that's the one thing. And I know you didn't get a chance to watch the Winnipeg game last night. That's the one thing I really noticed. Tim Stutz is getting a bit of a, he has to get a bit of a mean streak to him now. Yeah. For well, for games like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing though, about this Ottawa Senators team is, man, they don't take shit from Montreal. Hamnick, like he doesn't take shit. Watson doesn't take shit. Brady Kachuk Chuck doesn't take shit. Formanton doesn't take shit. Parker Kelly doesn't. Parker Kelly. Parker Kelly definitely doesn't take shit. And also, yeah, he has quite a little bit of skill to him too. But that's the thing is, that's what's even more pathetic about Gallagher running his mouth after the game is he got his ass kicked during it. 
So he's got to go run to a microphone. Like, yeah. He's just mad because he's old, he's shit, and he's bald. Yeah. Fuck Brendan Gallagher. You know what? It's really sad that a young, talented winger, right? I guess he's playing center, and Tim Stutzla has to take. I understand, like, okay, you're coming into the NHL. You're gonna you're a star player, you want to touch the pocket, you're gonna get hit. But at what point does Tim Stutza finally just get pissed off and throw it, throw his weight back at them? I mean, it's starting to happen because yeah, Tim Stutzla's mean streak is being he has to. noted. He has to do that now. And you know what? And as much as I know people like to shit on Don Cherry, that's the one comment he always made about the instigator rule. He says, if you take the instigator rule out of it, you watch none of these star players would be injured because they would either have a tough guy or at least two players on the team would go after him right then and there. Yeah. And yeah, I don't agree with this whole nonsense about, okay, you go after someone's star. You have to go after their team star. What does that accomplish? You're not hurting the game by doing this. It's like when people, and and much of them, not a Crosby guy. It's like when people, used to take runs at Sidney Crosby all the time. I understand that you want to limit to what he can do against your team. What good does that do if he's injured and now you're hurting the game? You're hurting the popularity of the game. You're you're hurting the marketability of the game when the top star gets injured. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's no good. No. So, Tim, let's turn our attention to the third game of the evening. Predators versus Senators. This is a 3-2 Predators victory. Predators are scored by Matt Duchesne, Tanner Genot, Ryan jo- and Ryan Johansson. Senators are scored by Matthew Joseph and Josh Norris. A somewhat even game overall. Game starts off with both teams flying and playing physical, which resulted in a couple of fights, which were pretty good, actually. However, as the game went on, Nashville continued to lead in shots and capitalized by tying and securing the W. Now, of course, you mentioned this earlier in this episode that this was Mark Borowiecki's first game back against the Ottawa Senators, so good on him. Let's talk about Matthew Joseph. What a beauty breakaway goal. Oh, that was so good. Well, it's even, it was incredible how he got that breakaway too, eh? Yeah. Like, just just hard forechecking. Between them. He got up behind them. It was great. And you are not going to beat UC Soros clean like that very often. No, 100%. And this is another yardstick game for the Ottawa Senators. And this is one I actually think they should have won. But UC Soros was the difference maker with set. Well, okay. UC Soros robbed Josh Norris on multiple occasions, but the Ottawa Senators have to be able to hit the fucking net. 100%. 100%. And even when talking about Anton Forsberg with 31 saves at 0.912 save percentage, it's a shame he didn't get the W because honestly, Anton Forsberg actually had a pretty good game. I can't really fault him on the goals. No, they were like Matt Duchesne's do, right? game opener was a beautiful goal. Does it seem weird? And I know people have talked about this on Twitter. People have said, isn't that weird that Matt Duchesne was once an Ottawa senator? That just seems like such an odd image of him playing for us. Well, for as talented as he was, as yeah. good as he was, I don't know how much of that is him as a player or just the team 
burned it to the ground right then and there. When he well, the team instantly disintegrated the moment Josh, sorry, uh, the moment that Turris left. Yeah. By the way, did you get a chance to see? I can't remember who it was. They made a tribute video for Kyle Turris, and Julie Turris commented on it. It was like, "Oh, this is beautiful." And somebody asked him about the chain. Yeah. Says, like, what's the backstory behind his chain? And she's like, "I, I think Kyle bought that at a mall kiosk when he was like 15." <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That's awesome. And of course, Melinda Carlson commented. So. You know what? There's uh, even though we talk so much about the vibes on the Sens team now, seem to be some vibes on the Sens at that 2017 run too. Uh, well, there would have to been the way they were playing. Like the Ottawa Senators played very well, but UCSR, like UC, it was a very hard checking, well fought game, and it's not like Nashville didn't deserve to win. Mm-hmm. It's just I felt that the Ottawa Senators were just a hair better. One hundred percent. Now, just a side note because we did mention Mark Borvietsky. News just broke right now that Evgeny Malkin suspended four games for cross-checking Borvietsky from the other night. That was a brutal hit, and I am glad the NHL threw down the hammer against an aging star. There's no way you can let that happen in the NHL. 100%. I, and, you know, you think of all the times that he doesn't get suspended for stuff like that. It's good on him. Good on him that he got suspended for yeah. that. Now, the final note I have on this game, really is just Josh Norris with one goal and five shots. Gotta love it. I mean, if Josh Norris played a whole season, imagine, like, I think he's on pace for, like, 55 goals or something stupid. Like, he's on pace for something stupid. Yep. With the way he's been scoring. And watches everyone's like, oh, look, Toronto's got a 50-goal scorer, and we're just like, Hello, here is our Josh boy Josh Norris, Norris. everybody. <laughs> well, I was reading an art, an article today about the Ottawa rebuild, and uh, just one of the lines is a player that you should be getting to gang, a player you should acquaint yourself with recently is Josh Norris. We're talking about a guy who's got 32 goals in 56 games. If he was healthy the whole season, he probably has 40 to 50 goals. Easy easy there's no way he would have not hit at least 40 yeah and elite shooting centers are just so uncommon right yeah because centers are mostly playmakers yeah and having a playmaking winger like batherson and a cleanup guy like brady that's a perfect line or even matthew joseph who started to emerge as another hard four checking center sorry winger to just get a puck to a shooting center Absolutely. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make in this game before we head off into the fourth and final game of the evening? Josh Norris's two goals per 60 minutes of played hockey is pretty impressive. I just want that to, I just want to stick that one in. Sens versus Rangers. This is a five to one Rangers victory. Sens goes to score by Austin Watson. Rangers goes to score by Chris Kreider with two, Artemi Panarin, Andrew Kopp, and Ryan Strom. Shots were 33-22 for the Rangers. <laughs> He's already dead. Yeah, that's about it. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these, these games before we head off into the close for another episode? This was another really nice Austin Watson goal. Yeah, it was. Like, what the hell? 
Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plugs. Our Twitter handle Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, WATE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to give some feedback on what you thought about Steve Austin at WrestleMania 38, shoot us an email, thirdlineplussensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week, as it currently stands, we've got four games on the schedule. We have last night's game versus the Winnipeg Jets, which we unfortunately lost 4-3. Tuesday night, we traveled to Detroit Rock City to play the Detroit Red Wings. Thursday, we traveled to Beantown to play the Boston Bruins. And Saturday, we return home for the final Battle of Ontario for the 2021-2022 NHL season versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. I really hope something funny happens in the in that game. Josh Norris scores four goals and we actually win 5-4. Well, that'd be funny. Especially if the Leafs go up like 5 nothing. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Heather Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. Woo! Saying that I only got